This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk a little Utah Jazz basketball like we do every Monday. Let's get out of the zone phone. Joining us now, longtime Jazz assistant coach and our great friend, Coach Gordy Chiesa. What's going on, Coach? I'm doing well, guys. Thank you. That is terrific. We're stoked you're with us on the show uh, tonight, Gordy. Uh, what would you think about uh, the Jazz? The streak comes to a, an end against the Clippers, but still a hard-fought game. Oh, very much. At 116-112 to 112, uh, lost by the Jazz, it was basically because of the differential of rebounding by the Clippers. The Clippers in both those games uh, against the Jazz, the Jazz won on Wednesday and lost on Friday, I mean, last week. The Jazz were out-rebounded, which is really surprising because before the game started, the Jazz were the best rebounding team in the NBA. So they got out-rebounded 45-38, to Jake, but it was really 11-6 to on the offensive boards. But most of all, it's when they got them, the Clippers. His last point about that, in that game, um, Boyan Bondanovich, Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, and Jordan Clarkson got a total of three rebounds. So the learning point about that is the Jazz, uh, they might struggle more if they don't get their mid-sized guys to rebound. So how do you get them to rebound? Okay, you may, it, up to that point, it's always been good. In other words, so they were overwhelmed by um, Paul George's, you know, uh, uh, skill set and, uh, uh, and uh, Kawhi Leonard. Even though those guys didn't shoot great, they're, they're talented people. So they're, the defense trying to slow those guys down. So sometimes you get flat-footed. When you try to guard the opposing uh, star players, your mid-sized guys uh, are so content of staying on their men, they don't chase down rebounds. And in learning the point about that, you might say, well, Mike Conley's a point guard, and, and so is uh, Joe Ingles. The, the point is that there's so many uh, three-point shots taken is that the most rebounds aren't, uh, aren't climbing rebounds. They're chase down rebounds off the floor. So it's more of an emphasis and react to the ball. Coach Gordy Chiesa with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. What are your thoughts on Gordon Hayward, coaches, his career, I guess, post-Jazz? Do you think he regrets leaving this franchise? No, he doesn't regret it. But with the Jazz for seven years, he was homegrown and became an all-star. Then he goes to Boston, and even though he's playing for his college coach, the dynamics change because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and those guys, they're good. And they're, they're almost establishing themselves. So he, but the injury set him back. Now he goes to the Hornets, and now it's, now it's a newness of it, is that he's the first option uh, offensively, and he's having really a good season. Now it helps also he signed that contract for four years, $120 million. Let's not forget, that's all part of the reason why he left the Celtics, because he wanted to get a contract extension. And his agent, Mark Bartlestein, who's very influential, was able to do that. The Hornets are happy they have him. He's playing very well. So the regrets, it's very doubtful. 
So we've been talking a little bit today about how jazz fans feel about Gordon Hayward. Uh, how do you think Gordon Hayward feels about the jazz and about jazz fans? Uh, do players, do they think about those things, Gordy, or is that overblown? It's overblown, absolutely. They think about more about their teammates. Oh, by the way, you please pass the ball to me, will you? Will you please pass the ball to me? That's all that matters. If the money's equal, and most times uh, as a driving force, but if it's in the same range, because with Gordon Hayward, that was his first contract, you know, the first four years. Then Jazz resigned him. Then to make a contract, he moved on to Boston. So the learning point about that is players don't think like that. Maybe they miss their next-door neighbor because he's a, he or she is really a good person. But generally speaking, they, they move on to the next team. Do you think he wants to stick it to the Jazz? Well, I think only because he's the competition. Like, like, likewise, I mean, where the Jazz also want to stick it to him because the Jazz are coming up a loss while the, uh, while the Hornets are coming up a hellacious win over the Warriors on, a, on Saturday night. So his, for the listeners right now driving to the, the Jazz game tonight, his quick numbers for Gordon Hayward, he's averaging 29, excuse me, 21.9 points per game, 48.5 field goal percentage, 43.2 from three, 86.4 from the foul line, 5.5 rebounds, and 3.7 assists. So he's really having a banner year. So from the Hornets' point of view, I told you he could still play. Coach Chiesa is with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coach, Michael Jordan was an unbelievable player, probably the best to ever do it. But Michael Jordan, the owner, uh, that has not been the case. If, if MJ were to call you, Coach, and said, hey, Coach Chiesa, how can I become a better owner? What would you tell him? Is that try to mix the uh, young people, the younger players, with veterans. When you have the model where you only have young guys in the team, I'll show you a young team and I'll show you a non-playoff team. So that's why they got Gordon Hayward somewhat. They need more than Gordon Hayward. So if you try to just build a foundation of only young people. Now what happens, Jake, let's add to that, is that all those guys are on the first-year contract, so the economics are dramatically lower. As the players get older and more established, the contracts now kick in, and there's a whole different uh, dynamics involved. So it's very rare that young teams stick together and develop. And that's Boston right now that's going through it. They had so many young guys on their team they drafted, but right now they're struggling, and now they, they had to pay those guys on a second contract, and they might have an element of buyer's remorse, possibly. So that's my advice to them. Your combination of younger guys, I get it, but also of, of veterans that play young. So, Gordy, I have a two-part question. It uh, relates to something that we were talking with Chris Mannix about earlier in the show. Terry Rozier the other night against the Warriors got hot, and they got him the ball, and he took them to victory. He got a little help from Draymond Green getting sure. kicked out of the game, but he had a great last-second shot to win it for uh, Charlotte. So my question to you as a coach, when a guy gets hot like that, do you mind going outside your offense to feed him the ball? And even beyond that, the second part is, Will you, if, if someone is hot, are you willing to leave him in a game longer uh, and maybe go outside your normal rotation a little bit to take advantage of it? Or is that counterproductive? No, absolutely. Go to him. When a guy has a hot hand and he's dealing with the hot sauce through his game, keep going to him. But I would say that when you do that, 
Don't give them the ball on the first side of the floor because it takes so much energy to go against four or five defensive players that are locked in. So when a guy's at a hot hand, try to swing the ball to him so he can catch in rhythm. And that's Terry Rogier. His nickname is Scary Terry because he scares a lot of defensive players. Let's hope tonight that Michael Conley and their Jordan Clarkson and Don Mitchell can, can scare him as far as defending him. So I keep him in the game. When a guy has a hard hand, keep uh, the rotation now suddenly is uh, ill avoid because now you're going to the guy that's, that's really uh, carrying you during the game. But also defensively, if I was the Warriors, I would have trapped him. So for the listeners right now, here's what happened. Draymond gets a technical foul. He starts waking out. He makes both foul shots to Hornets. The ball comes in to Terry Rozier. He has the ball on a sort of semi-isolation. He hard dribbles to the left side, and what they should have done is the, they should have double-teamed him and make him pass the ball to someone else. You never let a star player take the last shot. I know back in 1998, Jordan did against the Jazz. That's the learning point that the year before, we double-teamed Jordan, meaning the Jazz. Jordan passed the ball to Steve Kerr. He made the, he made the clincher on us. But the learning point is that you make the star player have to jump pass out of it, let someone else shoot. And uh, just a little addition to that is, that shot Rozier hit was really tough. Oh, very much. I mean, that was a that was a side twisting a twenty footer on the left shot. It was a great win for the Hornets. Now I know we're praising the Jazz play the Hornets tonight. They really are a developing team. That's why I use it. They're first in the NBA in most victories when the score is five points or under with under five minutes. So with Gordon Haywood being there and Terry Rozier, and the most important thing is LaMelo Ball, who's pass-happy rookie, is that they have these three guys on perimeter that have really contributed in different ways. Gordon by scoring, Terry Rozier by shot-creating and scoring, and LaMelo Ball by passing. So they are trending in the right direction. Coach Mike Conley missed six games, and, uh, you know, it's a shame because he was playing so well, uh, but that hamstring, better safe than sorry. But when Joe Ingles filled in for Mike, he had some of the best games of his career, Coach, as you know. He was very, very good. Mike Conley comes back into the lineup. Joe goes back to the bench, and his last game against the Clippers wasn't quite as good. So my question to you is, he coached a lot of guys who have had to, because of injuries or other reasons, step into a bigger role and then maybe come back to the role that they initially had after that uh, injury is over. What do you tell those players? What would you tell Joe Ingles to tell him to keep his head up and keep him productive? Well, the first thing in that game you're alluding to, Joe goes one for four. And before that, he was absolutely like nine for 11 in games as far as shooting the ball. And also is that he's absolutely lob central with him and Rudy in the high pick and roll. That he leads the NBA as far as Joe throwing lob passes to the screening meeting Rudy Gobert. So now they both play, and they're both good guys. They're both self-motivated, and they're both uh, uh, team-orientated. Okay, so what you want to do with, with a Joe Ingles is that – um, tell him to be aggressive is that even though Mike he's not starting now and Mike Conley is in the game when they're both in the game they're both quasi playmakers not point guards but playmakers what's the play I don't know but every play starts with your eyes and also with your instincts and when Joe has the ball he's got those uh, vivid eyes that can make plays before it happens and also he has instincts so I would say for Joe to be aggressive like he's a starter in the game, besides him and uh, Jordan Clarkson as his sidekick on the floor. And Jordan Clarkson is the perfect guy as a uh, second unit. Give me the ball. Get out of my way because I can make a jump shot in your face. 
Are there any circumstances under which you would go ahead and start, Joe? Yes. The answer is yeah. You can make that narrative that the Jazz are just as good, if not better, when Joe's there as a starter because that that because he helps Rudy get involved all the time. And Rudy not as a scorer, but as a scoring threat. See, when Rudy rolls to the basket without being so technical, it forces the help defense to have to tag on the inside shoulder, and that gives uh, Boyan Bondanovich or Donovan Mitchell that rhythm corner three against naked defense, meaning late rotation, all because Joe is a jumbo passer. See, Mike Conley at 6'1", he's cerebral. Joe cerebral plus adds an uh, element of uh, five or six inches as far as being a tall play, uh, pl- uh, playmaker. It helps Rudy, but it helps his team as far as spacing. You can, you can make that narrative. Jake, I know you, you really don't like that assertion, do you, Jake? No, I, I don't think you move Mike back to the bench or Bogdanovich or Royce or whoever else you want to talk about. I think Joe, I think the role coming in off the bench suits him really well. So I, I don't, I, I would not do that, but, you know, what do I know? Coach is the coach. No, it's again, you can make the discussion on both ways as far as that. Oh, by the way, the Jazz is the best record in basketball, so it's working. But as the Jazz go forward, uh, how can you have both players play collectively and play in rhythm, both individually and also as a unit? So that's where the question comes. And what happens is that the, a thing called injuries. Hey, I, we love everybody because, by the way, if someone ever gets hurt, I told you we love you. So meaning what? You're going to start now. What she, what she's saying there, Gordy, I think is really important for Joe to be aggressive. Who cares whether you start or you don't? And I know he, he says he doesn't care, but it seems like there have been a lot of instances where he's played better as a starter than he has coming off the bench. But ultimately, it, it you're going to need both those guys anyway, so you got to adopt an attitude of aggression. Oh, very much. And at any time you're aggressive, as far as with your ball skills, but your mind is measured. So it's that unbelievable instinctual feel that every terrific player has. Hey, but I'm aggressive, but also I'm what? Uh, I'm reading the plays. And that's really Joe. Joe has his pace to his game. And, so, and Donovan's developing that. You know, Donovan, for years ago, he played one speed, what? Bullet fast. And that's good some of the time. Now, Donovan is evolution to last, uh, we'll say, year and a half. He slows down, which we call pause to score. He's even more effective. And that's what makes the Jazz such a good team. They have, so, they have a lot of uh, different parts, but they all work as a unit. And the Jazz are right there, uh, Gordon and Jake, as, as the best teams in basketball. You can make a make discussion. Jazz, Lakers, Jazz, Lakers, Clippers, uh, Lakers, Jazz, Clippers. You can make that discussion as far as doing that. And, and then and the, and the Eastern Conference, it will be the Brooklyn Nets, who are playing absolutely sensational. The Nets have won six in a row, and they're showcasing their talent level. Coach, I understand you have a list for us today. Jakey, this list today is a list that you and I talked about over the years. This is the Charlotte Hornets slash Bobcats all-time players, the top ten. So, so for the listeners right now, it, the Hornets started as an expansion team in 1988. And that what made them so cool was that they were the first team ever to have jerseys with were dominated with a pinstripe, and it sounds so trivial now, but back in the late 80s, these pinstripe jerseys, which was, which was a really even more dramatic, it was teal and purple, and that really was eye-popping as far as that, and the last part about it is that they led the NBA in attendance 
for seven straight years as an expansion team. From 1988 to 1995, they were first in the NBA, even more than L.A., even more than New York, even more than Chicago, as far as, far as uh, attendance. And their classic home court was a Charlotte Coliseum, and it was called the Hive. So this is the setup of the top ten guys. I, and, again, it's only the players that played for them in Charlotte, not New Orleans, because now the Pelicans rebranded themselves. Number ten, Kendall Gill, Gill. Tremendous defensive player, all-around performer. Number nine, the monster mesh, Jamal Mashburn, all-star player. Number eight, they used to call him Crash Davis, Gerald Wallace, all-star player. Number nine, Baron Davis, all-star, excuse me, number seven, Baron Davis, all-star player. Number six, Del Curry, an elite three-point shooter, 40% for his career. In 1994, Del was the sixth man of the year. And by the way, that's Stephen Curry and uh, Seth Curry's uh, dad. Number five, this guy was the shortest player ever in the NBA. He was five foot three. He's the all-time le- franchise leader in Assist and steals, Tyrone Muggsy Bowes. Number four, incredible knockdown shooter. In 1997, he was the All-Star Game MVP, Glenn Rice. Number three, he played for the Charlotte Hornets for eight years. He now plays for the Boston Celtics. He was a perennial All-Star, Kembe Walker. All right, number two, he had this fun nickname, called Grandmama, and he was an all-star player in ni- uh, for many years. In 1992, he was the Rookie of the Year, Larry Johnson, and number one by far. He's in the Basketball Hall of Fame, rebounder, shot blocker, scorer, incredible physical toughness, Alonzo Mourning. Thus, that's my 10 all-time greatest Charlotte Hornets slash Bobcat players. No now, love Gordy, for their, their first draft pick ever, Rex Chapman, or their second draft pick ever, J.R. Reed? No, I don't have him in there as far as all time. <laughs> now, uh, uh, but that's, Jake, that, Jake, I love it. That's the beauty of these lists. We can, everybody can debate this. But, again, this is based on uh, scoring, I get it, plus winning and plus how you played, and you're part of the, you're part of the whole franchise fabric. Gordy, just for your information, did you know that uh, – in those years that you were talking about where uh, the Hornets were leading the league in uh, attendance and whatnot, that uh, our very own Jake Scott was among them. Oh, I knew that. No, that's why I did it. When I did list it, I thought about one Jake Scott when he was a youngster yep. trying, to fi- trying to find himself. He found himself <laughs> in the hive. I did. Uh, you know what? I remember the, the Charlotte Coliseum very well. Huge arena. And it was yeah. really loud. And, again, uh, we had a hard time guarding Muggsy Bogues. I know it's some of the listeners. The guy's five foot three. Let's say he was low to the ground, and we used to have to set back screens on him to free up our dribbler as far as uh, down the floor, whether it was John Stockton or at that time it was uh, Delaney Rudd and those guys. We had to free, free him up by setting a double screen to get him off our, our, our ball handler. They're a good team. The, the Hornets were really a, an elite franchise as an expansion team. Unfortunately, they hit some, uh, some rock, rock times. Now they're trying to bounce back. When, uh, when you were in the hives, Jake, did you get buzzed? No, I was quite young. So, no. no. 
no no buzzing uh no buzzing for me although hey coach the the one all-star on the Charlotte Hornets uh, uh first year on that first team they had one all-star and he averaged over 20 points per game and he was a former jazz man yeah Kelly Chapuka I'm surprised he didn't make the list he was really good for one year yeah, for one year he did yes now he was a really good shooter but again it's um this list is based on a whole bunch of things I'm and glad. most of all, it's having a winning game. You could have a lot of points, and that's commendable, but do you have a winning game? And that's what makes the Jazz t- tonight so interesting because the Jazz players have a winning game. Those guys play to win, and it's, uh, that's why the Jazz are in first place, and let's hope they, they can knock out the Charlotte Hornets. Who's the best coach the Hornets ever had? Okay. Best coach the the Hornets ever had. Did I stump you on that one? No, I'm I'm, I'm just trying. I mean, I'm trying to be fair about it. Uh, Fair about it. I would say Alan Bristow. He was good for them. Paul Silas also had some nice years. He did. No, he's good. Absolutely. And Paul Silas is a tremendous player for the Celts, and that's his son right now coaching the Houston Rockets. All right, Coach, you are the best. Thank you for the trip down memory lane. We appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Peace out. Stay well. There you go. That's our good friend, Coach Gordy Chiesa, jumping on with us as he does every Monday. Man, I hope I make you all sentimental. Oh, man, I I love the, 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 that old Charlotte call scene. It was great. That takes me back to my, my fandom childhood years. All right, let's jump out to the zone phone. Uh, joining us now from Lone Depot, our friend Matt Harrison. And Matt, I was talking about kind of my younger years. Let's talk about folks as they enter into kind of the latter part uh, of their uh, careers and their lives when they're looking to uh, make financial sense of, uh, of what they've built already. Yeah, so as we get older, obviously, you know, we will uh, get to a point that we kind of want to slow things down a little bit. But, uh, you know, a lot of us, you don't want to necessarily slow down life and, and, and where we're at and, and, you know, what we can spend. And so we kind of look into, okay, how well are we prepared? And, um, you know, your home is a wonderful asset that you've, you know, spent your, you know, your life building and, and uh, you may continue to be paying it. But if you're 62 or better and um, you've got about a 50% equity position in your home, it's worth the call to learn a little bit more about this program because you can immediately take advantage of, you know, not making principal or interest payments anymore. Um, You still would have to pay property taxes, insurance, and keep the home up. And you can still make those payments if you want to, but with the added benefit that a line of credit could be growing for you that, you know, you could then access the money that you're actually paying into your mortgage, which is nice. Yeah, which is so cool and I think would be of benefit to a lot of people out there, which is why I'm glad you're making that info so accessible. Yeah. So, you know, you look at a couple of different ways to get it. It's really easy. My cell phone, 801-330-2200. Again, 801-330-2200. Or feel free to visit my website. It's reverseourhome.com. Again, reverseourhome.com. And I'm sending out free books. And it's on reverse mortgages. It'll tell you a lot about them and answer a lot of the questions that you have. So excited to get information out, get the word out that this is a wonderful program. It has changed a lot over the years. So cool. 801-330-2200. That's 801-330-2200. Or go to the website, reverseourhome.com. Get that info. Find out how it can work for you. Matt, thank you so much. 
Thanks, guys. All right, we'll have more Big Show. Drop of the day coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. If you missed yesterday's uh, sounds uh, of various uh, clips, then you won't know exactly what we're talking about right now. But that is definitely appointment radio, isn't it? You're locked on to The Big Show, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time. For Drop of the Day, also known as Sounds of Various Clips. Gordon, you ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. Our friend Tim Lacombe, who will join me for Jazz Pre-Half and Post tonight, starting at 6 o'clock, he jumped on with Hanson Scotty and shared a story about the Jimmer. I'm trying to go back a ways. You, you didn't really have Jimmer Fredette on that team to play defense. You know, Jackson Emery and a lot of those other guys stepped up to play defense. There are certain guys you like, look, you're so good offensively, go out there and do your thing, and we'll try to make the rest of it work. Yeah, and, you know, that's what we did. We we employed one of the f- games first and only to that I can remember, 2-2 two, two zones. Um, it really allowed Jimmer to just kind of rest, and the other four guys really played that 2-2 two, two zone really well. That's a joke, of course. Yeah, I know. That's, I the, that's what Jackson and the boys would say they did for Jimmer. <laughs> I'm sure they People like to know about that, too. Man, I really like what you do with your zone. What exactly do you do with your zone? Well, Jimmer comes over to get a drink of water. Um, <laughs> Jackson basically takes the right flank. Um, Davies controls the whole thing from down below and Hartsock occasionally will contest a tough shot and then once we get the rebound throw it to Jimmer and in fact, you guys will get a kick out of this. This is going to change the subject, but it's a damn good story, so I'm going to share it. Attaboy. Um, we went to Sweet 16, and, and kind of, I guess it was kind of like, you know, the championship game team gets to go to the White House. You know, Sweet 16, I guess the brethren up in Salt Lake thought it was a pretty cool achievement. So uh, we all got dappered up and threw some cologne on, went on a bus, and drove up there to Salt Lake, and we actually got to go meet with the first presidency of the LDS Church. So we were in there. They came in, and we were kicking around, talking to them. They were cool. At the time, it was it was Irene and our boy Uchtdorf and uh, and Tommy Munson, okay, as Majerus used to call him. Yeah. <laughs> so so we're in there shooting the ball, and I'm trying to keep a couple people between me and them because I've heard they have X-ray vision, and I did not want them to terminate me at the high point of my career. <laughs> so I'm standing behind one or two of them, and you know, the guys kind of playing along. And so we, you know, we get a picture, and I've got a picture here on my desk of, of that day, but we get a picture with the first presidency, and there's a ball, and they throw the ball to Thomas Monson. He's holding it for a little bit, and after about four pictures, he said, man, I feel like a ball hog. Somebody else hold it. Who should I give it to? And he said, I can't give it to Jimmer because I'll never get it back. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, I can't give it to Oopdorf because he'll just kick it. (laughs) The only ball he's used to is kick it. I mean, it was hilarious. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) That kind of cool moment. Even he said, I can't give it to Jimmer because I won't get it back. 
There you go. Good story from our friend Tim Lacombe about uh, Jimmer for Dad. Well, that's funny. Yeah, Tom Onsen was a uh, uh, was a big time sports fan. He uh, he's, a, he's he your first cousin, right, Gordon? That's a good story. I don't think I can top that. Oh, he's going to. Uh, well, I just have to now. I got to tell the story. Yeah, uh, here it is. You, no, you, you don't mean, have to. I kind of do. Now you I'm don't. looking into the tax, uh, the law code here. No, it says you don't. Have you to. don't have no, to. Well, In fact, well, we well, just well, had well. a really good story. I'm compelled to tell a story now. I, I mean, I feel I've, I, it's like having a fit. You know, you just got to have it. I so love your stories, Gordon. It. Please tell another. But and I've told this story before. But uh, our our his grandson and my one of my daughters were playing in a tennis tournament at the Salt Lake Tennis Club, and it was in the the more inclement months, and so they had it under uh, the bubble. And at, it was a huge bubble, you know, Jake, you know what I'm talking about. And at the one end, they had small stands there, very small, maybe three or four rows is all. And uh, I came into the bubble to watch my daughter play. And he, I saw Thomas Monson sitting at the end of the, the stands uh, watching his grandson play. And uh, good little player. And he was uh, over there talking to people, and everybody was listening to him, obviously. I mean, he's a big deal, right? So I come in, and I, I see him over there, and I think, okay, I'm not going to go over there. I'm just going to sit down over here. So I sat down at the other end of the bleacher, and it wasn't big. I mean, it was maybe, I don't know, 50 feet or so. Anyway, so uh, five minutes later, he walks over to me. And puts his hand out to shake my hand, and he says, I guess one Monson ought to be courteous enough to come introduce himself to the other. Yep, you've told that one before. You was were he, right. And was he taking a shot at you? He was. It kind Ra- of sounds radi- like he radio was. is not linear, Austin. It is for this guy. So, well, well, that's because you work here. <laughs> but anyway. And you're uh, kind of putting little... yourself on a higher plane than him, really. Why? Well, he he came and said hi to you. Well, I didn't want to bug him. I didn't want to. Mm. I didn't want to be a fanboy running over there to to bug him. And so he came over and acknowledged me. And the only reason he knew who I was is because he's a big sports fan. Yeah, Gordon's no Tim Lacombe. He doesn't go fanboy on the problem. Mm-hmm. Although I did have that same thought. Like, is this guy looking straight through me right now? Not that I had anything to hide. Uh huh. Wonder if he knows about your parking habits. I wish I had a story of somebody super famous introducing themselves to me. (laughs) That's not the way I took the story at all. I took it like, and then I went outside and I ran into him again. And so uh, I I talked to him for a while out there. Very, very nice man. Austin, are you a big enough deal to have the head of a major religion introduce themselves to you? No, usually just uh, police officers are interested in talking to me. Yeah, that's it. And that's not Why, a story you'll tell over and over again on the air. Oh, boy. No, not because of my dad, no. Because uh, of my own sins, yes. How many times have I told that story? Today? You think? Once today. Jake? How many times have I told that story on the air? 35, 36 times? Oh, really? I thought it'd be <sighs> a little higher. Never I, tell I was expecting the follow-up story, though, so I'm glad we didn't get that one. 
Remember tell you about which the time one? that uh, Richard <laughs> Simmons picked me out of a lineup and uh, came up and said hi? <laughs> Richard Simmons? I was trying to think of the most random celebrity I possibly Was he wearing his sweating to the oldies, huh? shirt, shorts? Oh, what's man. the what's the bigger deal to be uh, to go out of their way to uh, tell Gordon they're a fan, President Monson or uh, Casey Kasem? Ooh, is there bigger, Gordon? Or or uh, or uh, Juice Newton's estranged husband, Carl? <laughs> it was Tom. <laughs> yeah, Tom Popcorn or whatever. Tom Goodspeed. Oh, and Juice Juice was very. Can we have Juice as band of the day one of these times? Because she did teach me how to play. You know, I had multiple conversations <laughs> with her. She's a very nice lady, to me anyway, and very informative as far as how to how to play polo. Who's the most famous person who's introduced themselves to you, Gordon? Uh, what's that? The most, the famous, most famous person to ever introduce themselves to you. Hmm. To ever introduce themselves to me? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, There was a time that that. Jimmer had to introduce himself to you. Speaking of Jimmer. (laughs) And you had no Uh, idea who he was. Great point. No (laughs) clue who he was. And this was Uh, after his time at BYU, right? Hi, I'm Gordon Munson, Salt Lake Tribune columnist. And you are? You are? Who are you, son? That's not what I said. I just introduced myself. And he said, Jimmer for that. And I looked at (laughs) my wife. My wife looked at me like, you moron. (laughs) And it was, was what a, a nine months after Jimmermania. It was it was uh, right shortly thereafter. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't that long after. No, yeah. it was it was a, it was a he was still in the part. NBA. Yeah. Let's put it that way. I'm not sure that he was. Hello, like, sir. How are you today, Gordon? It's me, Carl. Carl Malone. <laughs> you know, I knew a guy named Carl Malone. <laughs> I knew. I covered him for a That's long weird. time. Austin does bring to mind uh, a story that I... Uh, I'm sorry. No, I, I, no, 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 I had, no, you don't I need to a, tell it. You I don't. had in a, in a column the other day about Robert Kirby that uh, the Tribune did uh, have a headline in the paper once. It said, uh, President Gordon Bonson to speak at General Conference. And uh, Did PK write that headline too? I don't know who wrote <laughs> that one. <laughs> it was better than Clueless Kyle, though. Oh, man. All right. We'll have more coming up next. Stay tuned. It's a big show, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We 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 already got to the bottom of that, Gordon. I can't believe you don't remember. Yeah, but context is everything. No, it's not. You said that in the column. We, we talked about this a long time ago. Something you've been blaming on PK for years was not PK. Yeah, yeah but it was. <laughs> it's different as a headline, all right? The column I wrote after the Jazz won the first game in the 1998 finals, and the Jazz won it. And so I, I said, the DJ pointed out to me that uh, the the winner of game one wins. The, at that time, had won the uh, the championship like 89% of the time or something like that. So I wrote a column that said that the Jazz would beat the Bulls. And the headline on it, which I did not write, 
is count on it, Jordan will walk off court as loser this season. And there is a line in the column that I said that he would uh, <clears throat> he'll walk off the court for the last time as a loser in the finals for the first time. But that's the same Hold sentence. On. No, no, it's not. Yes, it's it different. It's no, no, because sentence. no, 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 because yeah. I said no. The the all right, Wolf Blitzer, spin it. No, no, <laughs> Blitzer. All right. And let me read it word for word. Michael Jordan, if he chooses to retire, will walk off the court for the last time as a loser in the finals for the first time. And the headline was? And the headline was, count on it, Jordan will walk off the court as loser this season. But that makes it sound like I'm calling him a loser. No, and I wasn't a, calling this, him a loser. I was saying that he would, I no, I said he would walk off the court for the last time as a loser in the finals for the first time. It, it, it's different when you say somebody you call someone a loser in a headline. The headline didn't call him a loser, and yes, it is the same thing. No, it's not. <laughs> it is. I said he would walk off the court a loser in the finals uh, in the in the last uh, the last, walk off the court for the last time as a loser in the finals for the first time. That's not saying that he's going to that he's. I'm not calling him a loser. I'm saying he's going to lose the finals. Watch, read the headline again. Count on it. Jordan will walk off court as loser. Same thing. He will have well, lost. It, it, it's the same thing, but it's really not. It's the same thing. I did say that the greatest player ever to he was the greatest player to ever lace up and tie on uh, a, a pair of uh, obscenely overpriced shoes. Well, that's a bold statement for someone yeah. who pays for them. Actually, you know, I, I was wearing uh, Jordan's. Uh, I was wearing my Jordan uh, threes at that time. Is that anyway, really appropriate? It's a pair of shoes. Okay. <laughs> His shoes. <laughs> yeah, well. Did you wear your Bulls shirt when you interviewed him? <laughs> See, I think the, the, the sophisticated listener will note the difference between calling someone a loser and saying that they will lose for the first time in the final. You did the headline didn't call him a loser. He said he'll walk off the floor a loser. And then in your sentence you said he'll walk off the floor a loser. And really the whole <laughs> argument is that for twenty years you said PK wrote that headline. Did I didn't write, write that it's headline. It's the same sentence. No, it's leaving out the details. It's nuanced. <laughs> you can't go on for three pages on a headline. And you do throw somebody. You under- wrote it. He copied and pasted it he in did. the headline. Yeah. Well, first of all, he shouldn't be doing that because you know you're not supposed to take something and just. You know. But you've anyway. been throwing him under the bus for that for 25 years. But it's true. It's not it's though. Tr- uh, okay. Well, it's we can't. the same I can't, thing I can't you said in your you column. In- no, because when you say someone is going to walk off the court a loser, it makes it sound like you're calling him a loser. Like this guy's a loser. If he loses the finals, what is he? But you said also that he'll walk off the floor a loser. The same words. <laughs> no, for the first time in the finals. It's not. That's it's, that's, that's, it's that's not different. different. It's it not. is different. It, it is. isn't. It really isn't. We should ask PK how he feels about I, this. I'd be stark oh, raving mad is he, what no, I would he be. He took great pride in the whole thing. 
And the thing is, well, he was, was taking DJ, credit for your work. It, it, it was DJ who planted the idea in my mind in the first place. And so those two really, you know, you know Gordon, kinda... when you point a finger, there's three pointing back yeah, right yeah, at you. Yeah. <laughs> you can blame PK. You can blame DJ. You can blame me. But hey, but they were your. Words. I didn't write it. DJ didn't write it. PK didn't write it. All right. You said Michael Jordan will walk off the court a loser. I said he'll walk off the court for the last time as a loser in the finals for the first time. That's that is different, and I think most of our listeners can differentiate between those two things. It's not at Jake Scott Zone at Gordon Monson. <laughs> All right, let's jump out to the zone phone. Hey, uh, Gordo, I'll talk to you tomorrow, buddy, and uh, enjoy your evening. Enjoy the game tonight. All right, see you. All right, joining us now from Lone Depot is our friend Matt Harrison. And all day long, Matt, we've been helping to inform people how they may be able to plan things a little bit better using a reverse mortgage. Yeah, no, it's been so awesome. So, and, and the listeners have been great. They've asked some fantastic questions. I do want to probably take this last segment to do a little bit of a synopsis real fast if we can um, and, uh, and hit the purchase side of things real fast. So, all right, reverse. If you're 62 or older, you have at least a 50% equity play in your home, then this is a program that could work out for you really well. Um, it has to be a primary residence. You got to pay property taxes and insurance, and you got to maintain the property. The bank does not own your home when you do this program. Okay, you maintain title. That's one of the first things that we get as far as questions. Um, when it comes down to purchasing a home with this program, the fast math of it is just take whatever equity that you have and multiply that number by two. All right. So let's say that you sell your house or you've got investments that you know you could bring in and let's say that you have $300,000 available, you could use this program to purchase a $600,000 home. If you had $400,000 available, you could purchase an $800,000 home. And again, not have principal or interest payments, which is really, really nice. Now again, those are round numbers. We'll get you the exact, if you call, super easy. Give you my cell phone number is 801. 801- Three three zero two two zero zero again eight oh one three three zero two two zero zero giving away free books as we have all day today been going through them like crazy so please reach out to me send me a text I'll get a book to you I'll tell you all about the program or visit my website reverseourhome.com again reverseourhome.com it's been great hanging out with you guys today Thank you, Matt. It's been great hanging out with you, buddy. We appreciate it. That number again, 801-330-2200, or go to his website, reversehourhome.com. Jazz Game Night kicks off next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Matt Harrison, loan consultant, NMLS ID 1425580, cell number 801-330-2200, 6985 Union Park Center, South Suite 625, Cottonwood Heights, Utah 84047, LoanDepot.com, LLC, NMLS ID 174457, licensed as a DRE mortgage entity, number 8144239, equal housing opportunity lender. A reverse mortgage is a loan and may result in a negative equity. The loan must be paid off when the last borrower or eligible non-borrower 
borrowing surviving spouse dies, sells the home, permanently moves out, or does not comply with the loan's terms. Materials are not from HUD or FHA and were not approved by HUD, FHA, or a government agency. If you are in any doubt as to the suitability of a product or service that you are intending to purchase or any aspect of your personal finances, we recommend that you seek independent financial advice first. Rates, terms, and availability of programs are subject to change without notice. To find a reverse mortgage counselor near you, call 800-569-4287. I knew that was about the end of it. So long, farewell, I'll be to say goodnight. I hate goodbyes. This thing is over! That'll do, Pink. That'll do. 